This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting, and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 257, and I'm joined by Tamson Broster and Jillian McCollum, anti-diet and body image coaches. We're talking about binge eating and how to start to overcome it, why traditional thinking-based strategies to stop a binge aren't always enough, why anxiety goes hand in hand with food restriction, and so much more. You can find the links mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 257. I want to give a shout out to Sopa Pila, who left this review. Love this show. Summer shares her wisdom and lived experience with honesty and humor while giving you a healthy dose of what it takes to move beyond eating disorders or disordered eating and embrace the joy in life again. Definitely a must listen. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. You can leave a review by going to Apple Podcasts, search for Eat the Rules, then click to leave a review or give it a rating. You can also subscribe to this show via whatever platform you use. And don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Also, if you're a professional who works with people who may struggle with body image, I have a free guide for you. You can get the free body image coaching roadmap, which shows you the 12 sort of phases you can take a client through when you're working with them at summerinandin.com forward slash roadmap. I'm super excited about this episode. I don't really ever claim to be an expert on helping people heal their relationship with food. I can certainly help people in that arena, but that's not my primary of expertise. My primary of expertise is around body image and self-worth. So I love having people on the show where food is really their, their main area of expertise and actually learn so much from this interview. So I'm really excited to share it. Jillian and Tamson are people that I've known for a couple of years now. They did my body image coach certification program. So they're trained in that area too, if you're looking for someone to help you with food and body image. And I just love their work and I love their approach to this work. And I'm so excited to interview them today. Jillian and Tamson are both anti-diet coaches on a mission to disrupt diet culture and help support people who are looking to heal their relationship with food and their bodies. Together, they host the Anti-Diet Club podcast, which helps folks on their journey to food and body freedom through an anti-diet health at every size lens. Let's get started with the show. Hello, 
Jillian. Hello, Tamsin. Welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to be here. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. I'm so happy to have you both here. It's really exciting to see you again and and actually get to, you know, like ask you some questions and interview you about your areas of expertise. I'd love you to both just talk about like what brought you what brought you into this work to start. Yeah. So coming to this work, I mean, I think I feel like it's a cliche. I feel like it's a little bit of a cliche saying like, this was my relationship with food, but it's true. Like I had a really, really disordered relationship with food for years since I was a teenager. And it just cycled from like dieting, binging and just, you know, being at war with my body. There's no other way to describe it. And I gradually started to discover like intuitive eating and body positivity. And I started exploring that over like several years. And then it took me towards, you know, I just kind of wanted to do that myself. I wanted to help other people, which is the cliche that I'm talking about, but it's true. And that's kind of how it kind of came about, I guess, you know, I, you know, Jillian, you can kind of tell your story. It's probably slightly different to mine, but yeah, kind of similar. I mean, I, you know, was a career dieter since I was probably about mm, 16, maybe I think I can date it back to, but you know, body shame predates that for sure. I can, I can always remember feeling, um, the biggest person in the room, which, you know, objectively wasn't true, but was how I felt. And then 2015, I stopped dieting, but of course not really because just we, because we decide we're going to stop dieting. Actually, that isn't what happens. I went through all the iterations of, um, well, if I'm not going to diet, but I'm going to, I'm going to just do this instead, <laughs> which then morphed into, you know, dieting by, by another name. And I was a yoga teacher, right? So I went through all the kind of orthorexic kind of real healthist stuff as well. And then finally landing years later, um, to a place of, um, intuitive eating and, and doing a lot more body image work. And, uh, yeah. And then Tamsin and I both started, we have separate businesses, but, um, then we started did our podcast just over a year ago. So, and here we are. Yeah, that's great. That's so great. And so I know you both really kind of specialize in, in like, I mean, the whole spectrum of like, you know, helping people heal their relationship with food and their body, but, but in particular, uh, like binge eating and things like that. And so I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that because that's not my particular area of expertise. So I feel like it would be helpful for people. Like, how do you even define binge eating? Like, because I sort of, when I came into this, I thought like, okay, I'm not a binge eater. Like binge eating is like when you like lock yourself in a closet and you eat like just so much food, right? Like, so, I mean, is that what binge eating is? Or like, how would you define binge eating? I'm happy to take this one if you, if you like Tanzan. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point you make somewhere because everyone experiences binge eating differently. And I think you could look at the the kind of technical terms that's defined in um, the DSM, for example. But what I find working with folks is it's really about how they feel about it. Is this something that's really impacting their life as opposed to looking at how much food and how often? Yeah, that's that's helpful, but also how do they feel about it? How, to what degree is it impacting their life? And then also, I think it's really important to get clear on 
are they talking about binge eating or are they talking about emotional eating? Which Tamsin and I, in the work that we we both do, are, are really see these things as being quite different and separate, although they do overlap. The the kind of um, causes and therefore maybe ways in which we might want to recover would be slightly different. So that's where I would begin. I don't know, Tamsin, if you want to pitch in anything there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the point you made about it being different for everybody is so true because it is different for everybody. And people kind of label it differently. And you know, we've had both you and I have both had clients who who do identify as binge eaters, but actually, when we've kind of talked through it, it's actually not really what we would maybe define as binge eating. But it feels like that to them. It's it's a very personal thing. I, I totally agree with what you said there about you know it being a real kind of individual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned like binge eating being different from emotional eating. So like what what's the sort of like what what are some of the differences there like for someone who's listening to this who's like and not that like labels really matter, but I think the approach you then take to help somebody probably differs. So like what's what are sort of the differences between the two that you would look for? Yeah, I think with emotional eating, we're really focusing on when somebody is eating in a reaction to feeling something, to an emotion. Whereas binge eating is much more a reaction that people may not realize it at the time, much more a reaction to restriction, um, whether that's intentional or unintentional. So really, it's just about getting curious, curious with the client, curious and getting them to be curious with themselves about what's going on around the time that these things happen and that this like eating things, you know, these eating behaviors occur. And just that's how you kind of get to understand whether somebody's really eating in reaction to restriction or eating in reaction to emotions. And sometimes both is going on. You know, they're not necessarily isolated. I think what I would say is the common theme around it is there's so much shame. There's so much shame around whether, you know, somebody is emotionally eating or binge eating. Any time that somebody feels just can't control their food or they don't have like, you know, the willpower that diet culture sells to us all the time, they will have a certain level of of shame and, and kind of, you know, discontentment around how they're eating. They don't feel like they're free around food. They feel like food is ruling them. I don't know whether Dylan has anything to add on. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. What you say about the overlap there, right? It is if you are continually in this cycle of trying to eat less than what your body actually needs. A binge episode is very much a reaction. It's a, it's a really natural response to that particularly long-term suppression of weight, right? And often it's the emotional piece that is kind of the gateway to the binge, right? It, it, when we are under emotional duress and we're not taking care of ourselves or we you know, are feeling chronic stress and anxiety, our self-care might be low. We don't know how to process our emotions. All that kind of thing can be the gateway to binge eating or a binge episode, which essentially is, you know, sometimes I think, I'm not sure what people sometimes think when Tamsin and I say on our podcast that binge eating is, you know, yes, it feels like we're out of control. It's not a pleasant thing to experience, but it's not that our body is flawed or that that it's doing something wrong. It's actually, when you think about it, a really normal and natural response to the restriction that we have been uh, sort of inducing essentially through not 
not eating enough food, so the practicalities of just not consuming enough food, but also the mental restriction around food, as Tamsin described, the shame and the guilt, um, what we call like psychological restriction. So all of that is at play and it sounds very complicated, but um, you know, all of this cycles back to shame around our bodies, which you speak about so much in your podcast. As we often say in our podcast, we wouldn't really have so much of a problem with our food if we didn't have a problem with our bodies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about binge eating because like when I was a dieter, I don't think I ever would have referred to myself as like a a binge eater. And yet there were like so many occasions like every day, every week where I would be like, you know, having that compensatory response where I would be like eating so much stuff and feeling a lot of shame and guilt. But I think because I never got to a point where I was like sick to my stomach, I never thought considered myself to be like a binge eater or have that. But hearing you talk about how just those feelings of like shame and guilt are really the drivers as well as just having it be a reaction to dieting makes me sort of think like, well, yeah, I probably was binging, but I just, you know, didn't label it that way. Not that labels necessarily matter, but I do think that there's some helpfulness in just acknowledging that like, you know, this is happening as a response to something else, not because you you don't have control. Like I think most of us feel like it's because we don't have control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, quite a lot of the time we're so focused on us being the problem, that it's our thing. I, it took me such a long time when I first heard that, you know, binge eating was really this response to the restriction. It took me such a long time for that penny to really land I don't think that's something you just go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's it. And it's it takes such a long time to figure that out. And and then you almost feel like cheated that, you know, really diet culture has you fixated on the way you're eating as the problem, not the way you're restricting. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. So when you're working with people around binge eating, like what's kind of the first step towards towards healing? So in terms of binge eating, I think I would encourage or be curious, I suppose, with my client in the beginning as to what does their eating patterns look like is for what I see a lot, for instance, is um, people like back what we call backloading their, their food. And I was a classic example of this. So I can spot this a mile off. And that's someone who wakes up every morning and it's it's day one, right? I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to do my best today. I'm going to really, you know, best meaning, you know, eat as little food as, as possible or stick to the plan or whatever that is. And I used to do that. I would lay it out on my kitchen counter and I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's a, that's, that's an appropriate amount of food for anyone in a day, which of course it wasn't because I was looking at it through a diet culture lens. And then that food would be gone by 11 a.m. because I'd be hungry and I would just, you know, eat the food. And then of course I would start from like 11 a.m. until like 6, 7 p.m. when I came home in the evening. And then I would, that's when a binge would happen. So another thing I suppose to note around binging is, is sometimes it can happen after months and months and months of restriction. But for me, that was the case. But then eventually it was just like every night. I couldn't even hold it together for a day. And so for me and what I help um, clients with is, is really trying to be realistic about the amount of food that we actually need per day, per week, per month, and then trying to, we almost describe as mechanically eating. So eating in a really regular way, trying to not get to that place of 
complete starvation and then we we then fall into this um you know response of of eating everything that isn't nailed down so trying to get you know i see it a lot for folks who maybe um don't eat breakfast or maybe try and hold off having that first meal for as long as they possibly can in the day or that kind of stuff is really going to get our bodies into that place of anxiety right we are designed to be anxious when we aren't fed that's biologically good. So trying not to get into that place of of um, feeling like we're so low on on the hunger scale that we need that we fall into that kind of uh, compensatory behaviours. So that's that's where I would start. I don't know, terms and if you if you would agree, but just trying to get into that. So three meals a day plus as many snacks and just and just going and of course that's going to throw up body image stuff right but then that's why it's so important to be doing that work alongside yeah i think that mechanical eating as a first step is is really is something i would always look at putting in first before you start really even diving into like further work in intuitive eating because if you hop skip and jump into that just too quickly it doesn't work but it is it is hard on your nervous system because when you're used to just delaying that food and like I was exactly the same as Jillian, I would be like, like, this is what I've got for the day. This will be fine. And then like, oh, like, you know, by like 11 o'clock, I was like, oh my gosh, like, oh, what's wrong with me? And again, it was always like, what's wrong with me? Why have I eaten all this already? Like, why can't I just get myself under control? Or I'd be thinking, it's fine. I just don't need to eat anything for the rest of the day. I mean, like I'm bound like not to get hungry. It'll be fine. And, and I think that is so common, but I think especially when you will start working with clients around this, this idea that you're going to start eating like three meals a day, but you're going to start eating early. You're going to start that like almost like opening that door to allowing food in straight away can be really scary because often people, and I know I did, will view their binge eating as how as how they would eat if they were allowed to just be around food. Oh, yeah. Because it feels so scary. It's like... Oh, if I was allowed to be around food like all the time, if like if you know, if I if you're binging at 10 o'clock at night, it's common to be thinking to yourself, well, it's a good job I didn't start doing this at eight because this would be my whole day, which actually the opposite is true, but that's really hard to kind of accept or believe like when you're first starting out. And it's understandable. This is why it's baby steps. It's it's not rushing in, it's not like here's your six week plan and this is it. It just doesn't it just doesn't work like that. So it's gently baby steps. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You said you both said so many good things there. Like, and I think that a couple of things I just want to call out the, like Jillian, you just said about feeling anxious, like that that's like a normal response to, you know, like your body's like biological response to being hungry is to feel anxious. Cause I feel like that anxiety actually makes people want to like fixate on the food even more like it 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 almost creates like an even more vicious cycle or it makes them more anxious about their body like that's something that i noticed so it's really interesting to like have people understand that like feeding yourself can actually reduce some of that anxiety if i'm like interpreting it correctly yeah there's hungry bodies and anxious body right that's what, what what i say all the time and and still i mean still i'm i'm years and years into this work but if i feel now as a kind of ex dieter that i don't know where my next meal's coming from like if i get on a flight and there's like you know no vegetarian meals like i still feel that anxiety my body remembers that right so 
trying to rebuild that trust with your body when it's been perpetually in that anxious state around food takes a really long time to to repair that and to be able to kind of like manage that nervous system regulation around it. Yeah, I always have snacks for that reason because I'm the same. Like I, I don't, my body, like when I start to feel like my blood sugar go down, like I start to like feel like almost this like panicky, anxious response. And so I'm always like, have like bars in my bag or whatever, just to be like, okay, you know, we got to eat something now. Just even though, even though like maybe food is coming in like an hour or something, like if I'm going out for dinner, like it doesn't matter. Like I just do it because I'm like, it just helps me emotionally feel better. And like, I, yeah. And so it's interesting. Like, I don't think I ever really thought about that as being like this, like, kind of residual impact of, of yeah. decades of, of dieting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, Tamson, you said something about like, yeah, people perceiving normal, like saying, okay, we want you to eat breakfast. Like them thinking like, well, it's going to be like what my binge is like, like that's, and I think that that's like a huge sort of mental barrier for people in terms of actually giving themselves permission to sort of eat enough like it's like that's really interesting um yeah yeah it's because that's what happened with me I just I couldn't you know I felt like I was morally better if I could like stave off that kind of inevitable like food you know like a day of eating because as soon as I started it was like the hunger never went away so of course like why would I believe that that was because I hadn't eaten something earlier. And it's the same for clients. You know, it's, it's so hard to really like allow, like let go and really trust your body. Because I think when we talk about this on the podcast a lot as well, about like, we talk a lot about not getting people back to a place of trust with their body. It's actually a very new thing because it's unlikely you've ever had it. If you've been brought up in a diet kind of like environment where maybe your caregivers were dieting and people around you and you were surrounded by diet culture, which most of us were growing up, and then you became a dieter all by yourself through your own decisions, you've actually never really trusted your body almost like before. So kind of we never talk about like, oh, let's go back to how your body relationship with your body was, because most people would be sitting there going, Oh, when was that then? Because I don't identify yeah. with that. <laughs> I don't remember you know? when I was an infant. Yeah. 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 Because that's really the only time. And even then it's still, you know, can be reasonably controlled. We've interviewed a few people on the podcast that talks about their experience of essentially what we're talking about here is food insecurity. Even though for us, it wasn't the the driver wasn't an economic driver. It was a self-imposed famine for us. Whereas for a lot of people, a couple of folks we've interviewed in the podcast, their environment around food growing up, there was insecurity around food. So again, there wasn't that, there wasn't, as Tamsin saying, these memories of of the, just this peaceful, joyous relationship with, with food. It was always quite strained. It was always feast or famine, sometimes through diet culture, but sometimes not, depending, you know, what you're what your childhood was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. And so like when someone's relearning how to eat, like I think one of the things that I witness and see is that like our perception of what someone is supposed to eat, like especially someone who identifies as female, like our perception of it is so skewed versus like what we most likely actually need. What's your experience with that? Like, do you notice that too? Like, it's like people think they need like 
just this little tiny amount of food when like, I mean, I always say like you have to eat like a grown ass woman or a grown ass adult, but um, it's such a hard thing, I think, to think like, wow, like that much, you know, like it it feels a bit scary, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think it is quite um, unnerving um, and kind of enlightening as well when you kind of get through that, like understanding what you really need to fill yourself up, you know, what you really need to feel satisfied from a meal or a snack or all of those things. Um, and you're right with, you know, if you're socialized as a woman growing up, you, you know, female growing up, you are told that your portion sizes should be less than, you know, maybe your, your male members of your family. And that is just so skewed. It's one of the things that we talk about quite a lot is like, do not believe that you have to have smaller portions than, you know, perhaps, you know, part or people you're surrounded by just because you you're, that's what you've been told your whole life because it's so skewed. And again, like portion sizes, again, they're just a guide, but we take them as like fact. And then if we are in a larger body, we're told that that must be because we're eating too much. Nobody ever talks about body diversity or, you know, the fact that just different people just weigh different amounts and that's, that's it. We have different body sizes. We're just told that it must be because we're overeating. Like, and again, that word about like, we must be eating too much and we don't even we don't even look at what somebody might be eating but who's to know whether somebody is eating too much or too too little and actually what does that even mean like what does it matter this is where we try and allow clients to get to a place where their food just is allowing your food to just be and not really you know not policing it anymore which is a, it's a big step to get to but yeah i think our, our perception of what is enough food is is not based on fact mm-hmm. you know or experience because we've not you know we've been judging our food for the, as long as we can remember and also the influences like what you see on social media and on Vogue, like what we somebody eats in a day, like what a celebrity eats in a day is one of my pet peeves. And I remember, I remember listening to one actually recently and you can, people who love food, who are trying to sort of like not eat it is the most infuriating thing to listen to because you can hear that tension. And one of the things that we, Tams and I talk about a lot, I think you kind of just hit on it there, isn't just how much food you're eating, but are you eating food that actually you find tasty and satisfying? Because you can eat all the diet food in the world, but still binge, right? You can, you can be full, your stomach can be full of food, but if it's food that you feel either guilt and shame around or food that is just completely devoid of any enjoyment, we're still going to seek that out, right? So it's really complex. It's not just as simple as um, not eating enough food. And those diet foods, for me especially, became my first binge foods as I was kind of like losing my grip. You know, if I'd started a diet, the the diet foods or the foods that were allowed became like, you know, the the replacement things for the things you enjoy, like, you know, the foods that are demonized, like chocolate and crisps and stuff like that, any kind of like substitutes eventually just became like the first things that I would just consume loads of. So I'm thinking, well, okay, if I'm going to consume lots of food, then it might as well be this good food, like uh, quotes, good food, which it's not. And you just, you start losing your mind around that. And then that just doesn't satisfy you. That doesn't fill you up. And it just goes on and on and on. And then you just always think that you are the person that's the, the problem. 
Yeah, I can't tell you how many like plates of paleo brownies I ate trying to just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, trying to like negate the guilt, you know, it was also just like, why can't I stop eating this? Yeah, no, Jillian, you said exactly what I was gonna say. It was just that like, I remember like, you know, seeing because when I was uh, a nutritionist many years ago, like I remember my some of my colleagues or other people in the industry like would post sort of what they eat and i was always like oh my god i eat so much more than them like what's wrong with me and and always feeling that way and just like how toxic that that social media can be towards our perception of what we think we should be eating because it's like i mean i don't know maybe people do survive on that little food like i i'm certainly not one of them but I just think, or I'm like, sometimes I'm like, do they just put that on the plate? And then they actually eat more when they turn off their camera. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, who knows? But I just, it it was always such a mind, like it was always so damaging to my mind just to, to see that stuff. And it's, it's terrible that it's so prevalent now. And especially like the, what I eat in a day and all that stuff. But one of the things I wanted to ask about was like discomfort around fullness. So I think some, some things I've heard from people who were previously binge eaters is like this, this feeling of like, it almost feels like threatening or scary to have that sense of fullness. So like, what's your advice to someone who maybe struggles with like that feeling of, of fullness, because that was always like something that almost like there was like almost like a sense of alarm attached to it. Yeah. What I would always get really curious about around first with the client is when we talk about discomfort around fullness, are we talking about physical discomfort or are we talking about emotional discomfort. And I think clients will most of the time, what I see, talk about it through the terms of physical discomfort. And that's not to say that isn't true because we can make ourselves physically sick with, you know, when we've, when we've had a a binge episode, but it's really, if, if that's all that we're dealing with, and I say all kind of, I suppose flippantly, really all that, that can be done in that situation is to put on some comfortable clothes, drink some water and rest, and it will pass. Our body will self-regulate, but that's the trust piece that we were talking about earlier. Dieters have a mistrust in that their body has the capability of self-regulation, right? If we get out the way and allow our bodies to lead, we just assume that binging is just going to be what we do all the time. But it's the emotional discomfort as well, right? That what what sort of what's activated inside us when we start to get past that neutral point. Because I know when I was a dieter, I wouldn't let myself get full. I would go from empty to neutral, empty to neutral. And then I would just feel like I was needing to eat all the time. And of course, because I was never getting what I would describe as meal full. So trying to work through that emotional discomfort of what are the what are the stories that are coming up when we feel fullness, when we feel that expansion of our belly, what emotions does it trigger inside us? So I think that piece is just as important as the physical stuff. And just to touch on the point you said there about your expansion of your bellies, you know, that would be what I kind of talk to clients about first as well is like how comfortable are you just 
breathing into your stomach and allowing it to expand because so, there's so much tension there. I find, you know, many clients just haven't properly breathed into their belly. It's actually one of the first things I do into my sessions when we kind of come in and we just take a couple of calming breaths. I ask them to breathe in and expand the stomach out because so often we just don't feel allowed and we're, we're trained, we're trained to like hold, hold that you know, tightly. And so when we feel full and we've eaten, you know, a lot of food that maybe we're not used to allowing ourselves to eat, or maybe we've missed the the fullness cues at some point, maybe, or, you know, maybe it's just something we're not used to. Like if that happens in the beginning, but we have, that's where that curiosity comes in and that allowing like compassion for ourselves and allowing that to happen can be hard, but especially so if you're just not used to just like Jillian said, let's put on some comfortable clothes. We're not used to allowing our bodies to just relax and just be a certain way after a meal. Like that can be really, really hard for folks to to handle. And I think I think another really important piece that I that I missed out there that would keep us in that binge cycle or the emotional eating cycle is what happens when folks feel that emotional discomfort? What is everybody's go-to response? Restriction. And that's what's keep, what keeps us in the cycle. So I think one of the most important things that you said, Tamsin, there was compassion, taking care of yourself. If you've had a binge episode or, you know, you really feel in all the emotions and, and food is what you've, you know, a lot of food is what you've used to self-soothe, then letting it be that. But Absolutely, we're going to be kept in this cycle if we feel that we need to course correct or compensate by either doubling down on the gym the next day or cutting our, our food intake in half or whatever it might be. And, and that's that comes from that that sort of emotional anxiety around what I've just done. I don't trust that my body can self-regulate, so I need to cognitively, you know, manage this situation. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So I want to talk about the emotions, like the, you know, the corresponding emotions of like guilt and shame that we often feel with like either, you know, secret eating or, or binge eating. Like what, what's your advice? Like what, you know, what helped you maybe move past like some of those feelings of, of guilt and shame, knowing that it's probably not just like one thing that you do for one time and then it goes away completely. Cause obviously that's not true. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're right. That's not true. But I think in the beginning, as hard as it is, it's really, you know, for myself was really like understanding like the concept of food being good or bad and how I had labeled it and how like dieting had created this like moral, like moral value attached to anything that I ate. Start and that does take, uh, you know, it's hard when you're going to the cupboard and you're saying to yourself, like all food is good food. Like, that is tough in the beginning when all you have heard for decades um, is this is bad, that is good, and this is what you should eat, and this is what you shouldn't eat. That's tough, but that really does start to unlock it, that legalization, that allowing yourself to just be like, you know, this food should just be, because it just, you're no longer putting the foods that you think are bad for you on this pedestal. And then they just kind of become food. And actually, even so far as to say, I would say I went through a phase of it being a bit boring sometimes. I was like, well, it's just food. Like, okay. And then realizing that, you know, everyone always used to label me as like the one who bakes. Well, I used to bake because I needed to binge on something, you know, but 
like I don't really bake anymore because I don't need to, I just don't feel that pull to like, oh, I need something. So therefore if I bake for my kids, I've got an excuse to eat like this food in these quantities. Like it takes the, does take the shine off it sometimes. I know that I went through that kind of lull and then came out the other side. So it's like a real rocky road of like emotions, like no pun intended with rocky road, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a, a real like up and down of emotions with like how I felt about you know, I don't know, emotional attachment to having that relationship with food, I guess, you know? Yeah. One of the things that really helped me around the kind of what I was talking to earlier about the the kind of emotional activation of eating the food, primarily the guilt and the shame. It's really, really hard to, when we're so embedded in the guilt and the shame and that I'm the problem and there's something wrong with me, it's really, really hard to, to be curious. This is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. They get in the way because we're just so fixated on us being flawed. So one of the things that I kind of forced myself to do in the beginning was anytime I felt a pull to eat what I would term at the time emotionally eat, which tended to be at night when I was, you know, I was back at home, the door was closed, I could finally kind of relax, the adrenaline of the day was subsiding. That's when the emotions would creep in. I would make myself name the emotion and it couldn't be guilt or shame. I had to get underneath that. What was I actually feeling? And I I would have an emotion wheel pinned to my fridge. So it wasn't a case of name the emotion so that you don't eat the food. It wasn't like a distraction tactic or an aversion tactic. It was just get really clear as to why I'm eating this food. It's okay to eat the food, but can I get clear as to why? Is it loneliness? Is it sadness? Is it stress? Is it whatever it is? It's okay, but be clear. And that was the first step for me. And once I did that, it was then easier to have some self-compassion because I kind of knew then what I was dealing with as opposed to just like, I'm the problem. I can't control myself around food and that's that. We hit a brick wall with that. But if you can get underneath it and look at what the actual emotions might be, not only can we find kind of I don't want to see different solutions because food's always a great solution, right? To self-soothing and comforting, but additional solutions, extra solutions, other solutions that might help once we actually know what we're feeling. Uh, we were talking about having like a toolbox, don't we? And expanding our toolbox. And we were doing our emotional eating episode. I think we were talking about not taking emotional eating off the table. You know, really kind of like knowing that we only feel that way about it because we're labeling it as something that diet culture is labeled as bad. Like there are people who maybe eat emotionally, but they just don't call it, call it that. They just eat and then they move on. But it's if you don't take it off the table, if you're not trying like not to emotionally eat, but actually you're using it as a way to, like Jillian was saying, like, what's underneath it all? What's the else is there? And what else do I need? What do I need right now? As well as the food, like not instead of, not as like a distraction, but what do I need as well as this, if anything, or actually, is this enough? Is this all that I need to have right now to get me through whatever this difficult feeling is? Because sometimes food is okay. It's, it's okay to eat emotionally. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing that's just really clear is like, you're not asking people to, you know, choose one or the other, which I think is like pretty main, like mainstream, I would say recommendations around emotional eating or even binge eating or like to, you know, deal with the thoughts and like try to distract yourself or like go for a walk or do all these other things. And what I'm hearing is that like, that's not really helpful. It's more helpful to 
you know, allow the emotional eating and tend to the emotions that are there as well. Yeah. And same with binge eating. Like, can we, can we try and not make it wrong? As, as unpleasant and distressing as it can be, sometimes I even say to clients, would it be helpful if we didn't call it binge eating? Would it be helpful because that word is so loaded, right? So it's emotional eating, so stigmatizing in and of itself. Can we, can we just say we ate a lot of food and maybe get curious as to why? Not that it's bad, but if it doesn't feel good in our body and we feel, you know, that as we were saying that, um, eat to the point of, of feeling sick, like getting curious as to what's happened. Have we eaten enough during the day? Have we been, trying to suppress that we've been feeling guilt and shame around the food that we're eating. And then as Tamsin said, like, are we, do we know what's in our toolbox? Can we use them when it comes to actually coping with our emotions? And, and I think that's really, really hard to a place to get to, as I say, when you're just in that place of these are my eating behaviors and it's wrong and bad. And that's why I'm the size that I am, which was and my I story. I <laughs> think it's really like interesting to ask clients if they would call it a binge if it was a different type of food that perhaps they associated with being like having a, you know, a good, you know, being a good or a healthy food, like quote unquote, you know, would they, would they attach that label to it? Probably not. You know, that's, you know, often we never hear people kind of saying, oh, I just binged on salad because we think we're morally good if we've eaten salad or we've chosen that as a thing. You know, that's quite often, you know, I ask clients that, like, would you call it that? That's so true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you both about was that you, I know, obviously, you both teach intuitive eating, but like, you also say that that's not the full answer. So what do you mean when you say that? Um, I think, I mean, we did dive into this quite deeply on the podcast before, but, you know, I love intuitive eating. But again, I think it's so different for everybody and it depends on the person. I don't think it's a one size fits all straight out of the back of diet culture. I think it really is an individual thing. And sometimes if, because dieters, we, you know, all of us who have been dieters tend to have this like perfectionist strategy. Like we want to, want to dive into intuitive eating, but we want to get it right. We want to do it all right. And I think that can sometimes distract people. So I think it's useful to be able to steer people into just allowing their food to just be and just not really kind of taking their attention away from whether they are hitting the hunger scale at a certain point or whether they're, you know, even hitting the satisfaction scale at a certain point, because that can just distract and make them kind of thinking that this needs to be black and white, like good or bad. Like I'm either failing at intuitive eating or I'm not. And I think that's sometimes why I think it really depends on the client, but if that's where they start to head, I'll take them back a few steps and just go, right, let's just get back to, again, what we were talking about before with mechanical eating and just eating regularly. And, you know, so what if you're like food can't just be. And I think the other thing really for me is like, we often talk about the things that we want to eat intuitively aren't always available to us, you know, economically, like access wise, like this not always something that's, that's, you know, there for us. Like I quite often want to eat with my children. Like I try and do that regularly. I don't always want to eat the same things that they want to eat, but you know what? I have to kind of find some middle ground because 
it's more important to me to eat with them. And I have strategies of where I would make that, you know, satisfying to me and kind of meet their needs, but not making 10 different meals. But if I'm really honest, I'm going to want something different. I like a lot of spicy food and stuff like that, but it just doesn't always fit in. And when you're away, like at families and, you know, when you're not in control of what you can eat, you can still eat. You can just allow your food to just be, like I said, right. I think, you know, if it stops somebody from choosing to eat, that's when I kind of would take them back a step and say, well, actually, you know, eating is the first step, not eating, you know, in like some sort of perfect intuitive way. Mm, yeah. We can really get caught up in making intuitive eating a diet because you're, you're right. Dieters tend to be perfectionistic. It tends to be binary thinking. We're either on or off the wagon and people can be caught for, I mean, so many people come to me and they're like, I'm coming to learn how to do intuitive eating better than how I've been able to do it myself. And there really is no better. I would say, I would say the work then is, you know, actually, how can we work through the emotions that's coming up when you feel like you're not doing it right? Like what does doing it right even look like? How can we just be okay with, you know, maybe our food isn't entirely satisfying. We can't afford the food that we would love to eat. Um, we often have to eat when we're not hungry because of our schedule, because of when, when in the day we want to exercise or, you know, there's so much that actually means that we can't be completely intuitive. So I think a lot of the work is how can we be okay with that and be okay with where our bodies land in that process and using it as a guide, but, but not getting fixated on it at all. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to break away from that rigid, you know, follow a plan, do X, Y, and Z to get this result. It's really hard to break away from that. Tamsin, I was laughing when you talked about your kid, like having to eat what your kids eat, because I literally have to eat spaghetti every week. And I'm like, how much more of this can I take? Yeah, exactly. But you know when it's like really important to you to do something that I missed out on so many years of that, like eating with my kids and no, this is really what mommy wants to eat. It wasn't what I wanted to eat. And I was eating their leftovers because I actually just wanted food, like more food, you know. But um just talking about like intuitive eating that I did a webinar recently about intuitive eating on one of the first slides was I want you to get it wrong. I actually genuinely want people to kind of like almost aim to get it wrong. So that they can, because if they're getting it wrong, if they're getting it like an air quotes wrong, then they can get curious about what's coming up. If they're doing it perfectly, then it's, then it's, they've, they've almost certainly nailed it into a diet straight away. Yeah, totally, totally. I think this has been hugely helpful. I loved everything that you were talking about here. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited for people to hear this episode. Where can people find more of you each, both? Yeah, so we we have separate businesses. We work independently. I you can find me at jillianmccollum.com. I'm on Instagram as well. I'm a different name there. I am Jillian Wilson is my handle over on Instagram. But um, if you want to find a place where you can hear from both of us, that would be our podcast, which is the Anti Diet Club podcast. Yeah, I'm also on Instagram. I think that's mainly where I hang out. I am just Tamsin underscore Broster and my website's of the same name. And I've also got a Facebook group, so I tend to hang out on there. So, yeah. so neither of you are on TikTok yet? Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are. The podcast is on TikTok. I'm on TikTok and Jillian's on TikTok. We are I mean, just I, ha I have an account, sure. but I've never used it. <laughs> and on the, on the rare occasions that Tamsin will send me a link to somebody's profile that we might be having a as a guest on the podcast, 
I lose half a day. So I try and never go on there. I don't have it yet. That's why I was asking. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I was told to like, go and get my handle because one day I'm going to want it and Instagram is dead and which I just love Instagram. Don't know why. But yeah, so I started making videos on that and I tend to be exactly what I post on Instagram pretty much, but I don't really understand it. And I feel a bit like I'm too old for it, but I'm trying to understand it. And I'm trying to not give into that kind of, I'm not too old for anything, but it's hard. <laughs> well, I had, I had someone who was, they were 20, they were 26 years old. And they said, I'm too old for TikTok. Cause it's all like 12 to 20 year olds. So. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, my I am not done with the kids. At all. No, I, just, I was actually going to get my son's babysitter to maybe teach me. Cause I was like, <laughs> cause she's 18. Yeah. I was like, like, should I see if maybe she wants to sit down and like teach me for a couple hours one day? Because I'm like, do I need to know this? I'm not on there yet. Anyways, I know I was just asking because I was like, I'm just curious, like who's on it now? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sort of on there. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I'll link to you all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much to both of you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Rock on. There's so much great stuff in this episode, but there's one quote that has stuck with me ever since. So we recorded this episode, I feel like in like November, December, I feel like it was in December of 2022. So it was a couple months ago now. And when Jillian says a hungry body is an anxious body, I was like, that quote has stuck with me. And I feel like it's such an important thing that everybody needs to know. Because anxiety and eating disorders go hand in hand. But the or disordered eating even often comes from like this sort of anxious feeling within ourselves and we're grasping for control. But that quote of just like a hungry body is an anxious body is just like so important. So, you know, if you're feeling anxious, go eat, (laughs) make sure you're well fed. I think that's the main, the main point there. But there's a lot of other good stuff in this episode too. But it's just like I'm recording this outro you know, like three months later. And I just like that quote still sticks out to me. I hope you enjoyed this show. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 257. Thank you so much for being here today. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.